Welcome to the Modern Futures Podcast. Humanity is evolving at a pace never seen before. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he discusses how new ideas and developments impact us today, how they will make tomorrow more productive, and how they can make life a little more challenging. Back in January 2016, I had the chance to chat with Denny Unger from his studio at Cloudhead Games in Coombs on Vancouver Island. His team are pioneers in virtual reality and are just about to release the first instalment of The Gallery, a four-part episodic fantasy exploration game built from the ground up for virtual reality. In this interview, we discuss the state of the VR industry, how you innovate in an industry where a lot of the technology hasn't been created, and what keeps them driving forward to do things that people have never done before. I'd also just like to thank the BC Innovation Council, who supported this interview as part of the BC Tech Summit. We sort of met like a year ago, right? Yeah. And, and obviously, Karis and I saw... So what, what was obviously, uh, we, we didn't know was the HTC Vive. Is it Vive yeah. or Vive? It's Vive. Okay, HTC. It's as in Revive. <clears throat> right, okay, so the HTC Vive. So, so we saw that then, and it was hugely impressive, and obviously you guys were doing some, some, great, uh, some great work with it. I'm just wondering how the past 12 months has treated you. The, the last 12 months have been uh, busy, yeah. uh, and... We've been going through different hardware iterations. We actually yeah. <laughs> we just got the the latest development kit. It's it's basically the the one prior to their launch candidate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, they're calling it their second dev kit, but it's actually more like their fourth. Right. Okay. Uh, like, but you know, they're they're widely distributed development kit. This is the second one. Yeah. Sure. That they're doing. Um, so we just received that last week, or sorry, before the Christmas break, we received it. Great. Uh, so last December, uh, and we're you know just making sure that uh, things are still working out. There's weird things like you know the the offsets on the controllers are different because there's an actual different form factor. So we have right. to account for that in the game and right. And, and I, I guess that, that 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 means an iterative approach to development. And and when you've got hardware and software in the mix, that makes uh, innovation uh, act in a different way, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I, I guess that would be the biggest challenge of the last 12 months is yeah. because the hardware is coming in so hot, yeah. uh, there are so many fundamental changes that happen right. on both software and hardware constantly that you're, you're in a cycle of continually reinventing what you've done previously. Right. Um, this won't be an issue, of course, for, for developers who start next year. Right. Uh, but for <laughs> us, it was a really big challenge. Yeah. I mean, how have you dealt with that? Because obviously, you know, it's like, hey, Denny and team, go and build a game. Here's a budget. Do you have, have you had to like factor that into all of your planning as well or is some of this unexpected? Early on in the company's history, we were pretty naive about things like right, that. Right. So we, uh, you know, we just kind of put blinders on and did the work. Um, but as the team grew, you know, we started with three people, now we're 15. Right. Uh, but so <laughs> once you hit that tipping point with staff, you, you have to be more future-facing with your funding. Right. Um, so, you know, about a year into it, um, 
we started getting more serious about being on kind of a continual fundraising path and just seeing how the the VR market in general is panning out for 2016. It's very important to take into consideration that there is no established market. No one really knows. It doesn't matter who claims to know. No one knows where things are going to go, what's going to be popular, where the money's really going to be made. So anybody starting a, a VR company in, in 2016 has to be aware of that and has to you, you have to do fundraising in a more traditional way because you're not going to float on revenue, at least not in the first year, um, and maybe not even in the second year. I don't know. No one knows. That's the point. Um, but everybody knows that eventually you will. <laughs> eventually you'll do okay. So, yeah. so if you can survive for a year or two, then you'll probably be in a really good position. So, I mean, you know, 2015 was pretty crazy. Obviously, new tech coming to the fore. What does the t- next 12 months look like for you guys? Really, things are just going to get crazier for us. Right, okay. There's, there's some stuff I can't totally sure. talk about. There are certain technologies still evolving and yeah. coming, uh, which will further enhance immersion. And so we are still kind of in the... on the firing line with respect to tackling really weird challenges that have no foundation that have no google search attached to them you can't the the knowledge is created not not learned so you're starting at like ground zero right it's almost like um first mover advantage isn't always uh great when it comes to gaming and innovation it's always the people that learn after you guys (laughs) that do really well yeah, I, I deeply envy any developer jumping in in 2016 because, you know, a lot of the really hard problems will be solved for them. I mean, it's normal. That's that's what happens, right? So 2016 for us looks like, um, for us, we, we kind of know what the established market will be for yeah. gaming and entertainment for VR. Yeah. So we're continuing. We, we have four episodes for the gallery, which yeah. are... The second episode, we're just rolling into pre-production right now. We're finishing uh, the first episode right now, finaling. Uh, so really, for those two, or for that specific IP, it's about um, uh, porting and understanding where the market tiers are. Sure. Uh, so taking advantage of what we know will be the established markets so that we can start generating revenue, um, but also funding the back end of further development on... Uh, we have a second IP in the works, and we have a Cloudhead Games Labs, which is basically um, doing a bunch of skunkworks kind of oh, wow. development. And we plan on expanding the, the studio further to uh, double in size over the next six months or so. So we'll be at about 30 people. And yeah, so things are just kind of snowballing in, in a great way. So with that skunkworks in the labs, and obviously you're putting a lot into like research and development, right? And and that's what happens at this stage of, of the tech. Do you get extra support, or or is that basically being all like funded from within within Cloudhead, or do you actually go to the BC government or VCs or anyone to help with that particular activity? All of the above. Right. So uh, VCs, uh, IRAP, Shred. Uh, all of those kind of usual uh, candidates, uh, especially for this kind of material, because it is really research based. Yeah. Um, so uh, we just kind of utilize whatever's at hand to to help facilitate that. Obviously, you've got we've got like Hololens and Magic Leap and all these people sort of running around with with some pretty uh, pretty amazing sort of uh, technology, and obviously it's in the infancy stage. And um, what do you expect to to happen in the sort of the next? you know, 12 to 24 months with, you know, the promise of some pretty amazing tech. I mean, I'm just wondering where you're seeing sort of um, that kind of VR and AR going in the next 12 to 24 months. 
uh, I, I see a lot of fragmentation and right. a lot of experimentation right. with all of those technologies. AR is, I think everybody wants AR to be a certain thing, uh, yeah. but I think the reality is that AR, like even Magic Leap, I've seen some of the, the demos that they've, they've shown, yeah. um, and, and I've, I've read a lot of technical docs, and, and I've tried to piece together what they're doing, but even with them, they have some uh, hard problems that are, are currently unsolvable with current technology, right. not that they won't be in the future. Yeah. One of them is um, blacks. Like you can't, uh, if you're using Magic Leap in a very well-lit room, as far as I understand, yeah. you're still going to get light saturation through your blacks. Right. Um, so the, the image is going to be a bit washed out. So if you notice on their last video that they released, yeah. it was in a very dark room. And that that's purposeful because it, it would expose one of the kind of frailties of the current way they're displaying AR overlays. And I think until someone cracks that fundamental, fundamental issue, whether it's retinal projection or something right. else, further forward, AR is still, well, it's two things. It's it's how you're projecting the image and what the field of view is. And I know there's been a lot of different numbers thrown around for Magic yeah. Leap. I think they were up to 100 degrees F field of view. But to feel like those projected images are really a part of your, your environment, you're going to have to go at least beyond 110, 120. Right. And there's, there's just a number of, uh, they're, they're tackling all these really hard problems. Like how do you light virtual objects in, in a real world space? Like how are you sampling room lighting? How are you anchoring those virtual things into, a, into the real world? All of these problems are not going to be easily solved within the next two years, but they're gonna get close, close yeah. enough so that in the next five years, AR will be a substantial technology. And if they can figure out those fundamental issues with uh, projection of the image, then you'll reach this crossover point, I think, within five years where AR and VR will become synonymous, it'll be the same thing. Right. You just, you have different modes, right? right? So you'll be able to switch between the two. And once that occurs, I think that's when massive wide adoption of those technologies will occur. And I do believe that in very short order that AR will replace cell phones. That cell phone is going to look like a baby's toy in a pretty short period of time. Once people understand what it's capable of doing, even with the problems, it's once they get the form factor down, it's, it's going to replace that technology. And that's when we walk around with glasses just like staring into the distance and we, we completely disassociate ourselves from society, right? I, I think that it'll offer... It, I mean, the world's going to get very weird, for sure. Yeah. But weird doesn't mean bad. So, like, one example I always think about is you might go into a pub and it's completely white. Like, they've spent no time on decor because the owner has programmed the pub to look like whatever you want it to look like. I mean, these things are going to happen, for sure. So... I, and that just kind of crosses over to everything. I mean, I think that society over time will become kind of more minimalistic in terms of what material goods they put value on, um, because increasingly virtual goods will start replacing material goods. So I think that'll be the weirdest shift that, that society kind of take, takes, is that they'll put more value on the virtual. Yeah, it, um, it, it's really interesting. I, I've, I've just gone through a massive rejig of my apartment and got rid of a bunch of stuff I don't need anymore. And I'm literally looking at, like, I've got about eight boxes full of DVDs, Blu-rays, CDs. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you know, like, if you actually calculate how much money I'd spent on it, it would like yeah. make, make you cry that the fact that it was absolutely worthless this, these days because literally subscription-based services and whatever exist and and even with VR and and, and AR AR particularly in in five years time, 
everything everything could be subscription based right the experience you have in nightclubs all the way through to retail stores to whatever right yeah and, that, and that's the weird thing like once once those technologies kind of harmonize like socialization is a is a really interesting thing uh you just mentioned uh, like a nightclub or a yeah. party or whatever you, you, You'll have the option of physically attending or virtually attending. I think eventually that's kind of like the holy grail of how yeah. virtual social, socialization will occur, right? I was going to say, oh, just uh, this is kind of going back, but in, in the in the next two years, yeah. I see sort of the thing that I'm clearly seeing is a fragmentation of experiences because of the constraints of the current technology over the next two to three years. So there's Gear VR, which is very much like you're digesting media. It's it's a great thing to use if you're just sitting there watching videos or um, doing kind of low-level VR stuff that doesn't require movement. Right. It's just, you know, there's no positional tracking, there's head tracking. Uh, and, and the hardware itself is kind of constraining what that experience is. And then you move up a, a step and you go to Oculus. It, they've promoted uh, sort of sitting or either standing and move, looking straight ahead. This is also true of uh, Sony. And, and you have specific experiences that kind of work for that, that work for a seated experience, that work for a forward-facing experience. Right. And then you, you have HTC, which is more like the holodeck in that you can actually be very physical with it. You can move around 360 and walk right. around a, a, a volume that you've calibrated. And because of that, you're generating completely different experiences. So that's the kind of fragmentation I see in the short term. Uh, but I, there again, I think that all of these companies are going to start coming to the middle, the same conclusion, which is the less you constrain the user, the better. Like that's the ultimate goal of all VR or all AR. No constraining the user and give them a natural input. So let them have their hands for God's sakes and let them walk around. It's almost like paintball fields, you know? You, you almost create the VR, AR field uh, uh, where you can literally walk in and do whatever you want to do, right? To me, that's the, the neatest thing is that once all of this matures, it, it's the exact opposite of being a couch potato at that point. It's a very physical, very natural interface with technology. And uh, I think that's something people miss is that no, as this gets better, you're yeah. not going to become a recluse that sits in his basement. You're going right. to become something more, something more physical, and hopefully somebody who's more social because of the way this will all kind of spin out. So by the time I'm playing like Fallout 8, I'm going to be this like ripped guy that's going to have to like really have my stuff together, right? Definitely. There's a great example of that already. It's uh, one of our developer friends. They're creating a game called Hover Junkers, and yeah. so we've had developer access to that for months and you play half an hour of that and you're sweating buckets because you're on the floor you're rolling around you're to be good at that game at that shooter you know at the sort of first vr shooter you have to be incredibly physical and so it's going like esports and that whole range of things is going to change radically yeah like you i can i can really picture a coliseum based setting where people are physically there or they're at home watching, but in the center there are actual, you know, athletes <laughs> right. playing VR sports games. 
uh, so, in a very physical competitive way. So that's kind of interesting because gaming's been quite uh, democratic, hasn't it? Really, like anyone of any ability, you know, physical or otherwise, can pretty much pick up like Street Fighter or Fallout Four or or whatever and play different yeah. games and and have that 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 extra experience. With this VR and AR world, are, are we are we making the the group of people that can play it like smaller? Are we making it more exclusive uh, with with yeah. certain varieties of games? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. No, it's true. Like, uh, so, you know, just even some of the things we've kind of uh, encountered where certain interactions in our, in our experience are would be hard for a very short person to do. Because, you know, if something is up here, unless we give them a virtual stepladder, it, it would cause issues. So we've had to design all of our interactions to kind of hit that middle zone where right. uh, if somebody is short, they can still do they can still make their way through the experience, right? I, Same thing as with tall people. If they're too tall, their head starts clipping into geo and all kinds of weird stuff, right? <laughs> but it's it's really just defining your experience more like reality. You have to really consider it from that lens of experience, right? Yeah, it's like di- discrimination in the interface. It's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, even, even like voice control interfaces assume you've had a certain level of education, have got a certain level of linguistic ability. And if you don't yeah. have that, suddenly, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, the very broad accented uh, Scottish guy using Siri, which is a very famous like uh, YouTube yeah. video, right? You know, if you've heard Scottish people speak before, you know what he's asking. So why the hell can't this technology, right? It's a design challenge. Yeah. I think that you know, obviously, if somebody's creating an educational application, they, they will hopefully have the presence of mind to design it in such a way that it doesn't exclude anybody. But yeah, it's, it's the, those weird tiers of experience and what people are expecting to get out of yeah. the experience that will kind of become crystallized over the next couple of years, I think. Right. So obviously you, you wake up every morning, you've got this amazing tech, hardware and software and all these challenges. You know, what drives you and your team to keep going at this? Um, it's the novelty and, yeah. and the challenge of creating something that had no easy answer and discovery. Uh, yeah. Discovery is, is, is intoxicating, obviously, and, and not being limited by someone else's definition of what it should or could be. I really respect Valve for their way of approaching developer relations in that way. They don't tell you how to do things. They want you to take the deep dive and experiment with everything, right? I, sorry, I, I should be more general. It's true of, of Oculus as well. Right. They, they do want experimentation. Um, that's, and that's the funnest, most rewarding part about it, is figuring out how, how, just how you make that work in VR. And, but making the funny thing is that we're approaching, because the technology is getting so good now, we're approaching this strange, uncanny valley with, with the technology. Right. The better it gets, the fewer things that worked before work now. Uh, so previous uh, game design mechanics or control implementations start falling apart rapidly, the, the more real it gets on the other end of the scale. So an example I can give is we, a long time ago with, with the earlier technology, when we were designing for a seated experience, we had this rotational allotment to prevent vestibular disconnect when you would rotate 360. Uh, it was just like sort of quick, it's like a dancer spinning and always spotting in the distance. We emulated that in software to prevent uh, rotational sickness, which is kind of like the key killer in VR. When you have artificial rotation and your inner ear isn't also corresponding with that. So we created that system where it was kind of like incremental snap turns that would just quickly put your eye there. Um, and it was a bit like your eye saccades 
darting around. You don't consciously see that when you're scanning your environment. So it feels like that. Sure. It's just like this natural snapping. But as, as the technology got better, the less effective that was. And, <laughs> right. and the easier it was for your brain to go, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> you know, as the display technology got better, as the frame rate got better, as the tracking got better, all of those things started to not work as well. And what we found was we had to be more literal and more physical with everything, which included rotating your body physically ah, okay. um, and figuring out a way to move around in 3D space. Yeah, there is this strange uncanny valley with uh, the better it gets, the less things work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and the it, more you have to emulate reality. Well, well th th this is interesting. From the early days of... Well, I started playing games when I was 10 years old, so that was 33 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, you'd play like Magic Miner and, and all sorts of Frogger and stuff like that, right? On, on very early sort of uh, PCs and, uh, and such like. And then you sort of get to the point now where you can download a 3D version of Frogger like for your phone and, and play that and download it in, in two minutes. Um, but then, then you've got, you know, as you got to Doom and 3D and Immersive and now I'm playing Fallout 4. There's still the story. The storytelling is still as old as the hills. You still have to get that right. You st there's some still fundamentals that are there, but this tech, the immersion, just changes everything, right? Yeah, yeah. The other the other example is uh, we used to have full body persistence, so we'd have an IK rig that was kind of you know loosely approximating where your elbows were and where right. your hips were and your legs would move and blah blah blah. We only have three points of tracking. We always have for a long time, but. Uh, as the tech got better, uh, and the tracking fundamentally, the tracking got became one to one in a way that your brain just could not distinguish, right? And once you have that kind of fluidity of tracking, and you try to attach a virtual avatar below these knowns, uh, even if you even if you have a really great predictive model of where the elbows should be or where the hips should be on the virtual character, it all falls apart because it if it's not perfectly emulating where those bits of your real body are, you feel like you're in someone who's been in a body that's been injured right. you know it's not doing exactly what you expect it to do yeah and what happens when you do get injured in a game your character gets injured right how, yeah. how, how do you then yeah so it, it's a really complex space you know obviously you're, you're up there in coombs and and you've got a team yeah. of 15 uh, soon to be growing to 30 you know you're you're on the island and, and you're you're in a very small community up there i mean what, what's really kept you there i mean what what sort of uh, what sort of uh, magic is in uh, sort of vancouver island and, and up there halfway up to, towards um like coombs and qualicum and such like that sort of keeps you in that area and keeps you focused maybe i'm a bit naive here but i I believe that because we're here, it allows us to stay grounded. We're dealing with very high-level, high-tech stuff, but everyone who comes to the studio, everyone who works here, um, has a deep appreciation for what the island represents, which yeah. is, it's kind of, you know, protected. It's it's uh, vastly beautiful, yeah. and there, 10 minutes outside your door, you can be somewhere magical. And when you're, uh, you know, doing... 13-hour, 14-hour days in a very kind of high-stress tech industry. Being yeah. able to step outside your door and experience that, uh, I think, is means everything. And and a lot of who work, the people who work here are of uh, child-rearing years. You know, right. we have young kids, uh, and having that small-town sensibility, I guess, right. around that 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 sense of community and family uh, is very important as well. 
so I think age has a lot to do with it potentially. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> None he, of us are super young, but yeah, yeah, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like uh, a lot of people forget that these, you know, these huge like unicorn entrepreneurs and whatever, you know, they're, they're going to have kids. The employees are going to have kids. You're not going to want to be in sort of the pressure cooker of of, of some of the the larger cities and the ecosystems there because you can't do it. And and really, just relying on younger talent as well isn't always going to get the job done, right? No, and, and you bring up a great point, actually, because uh, there are huge distractions in massive urban centers right. that you just don't get here. Like, the focus here on the island is intense <laughs> because you, you just simply aren't distracted by going to parties or events or whatever. Even though I do have to fly out and do this and that, it's it, we've kind of constrained it. Yeah. Um, and frankly, the support on the island has been great from the government, from local municipalities, from a number of different people from uh, Innovation Island, from the town of Qualicum even. So we're right. moving into, uh, they're letting us take over their old fire hall, which is 8,000 oh. square feet. Um, and it's perfect because it has these massive open bays at the bottom where we can do all kinds of crazy experiments. And we have our office space upstairs. But they have this impulse to support a tech industry in this small town because they see that, you know, what is the future pivoting towards for them in terms of an economy, right? right. Um, and to them, it makes sense to not change the fundamental feeling of the place, but, you know, by allowing in industries that don't corrode the natural beauty and the, the, the essence of what it already is. And, that, and that's yeah. what's really interesting when I talk to people about BC, and it's a very interesting perspective uh, about that. You know, it's not isolation, but you're just you're just removed from all these distractions. You know, I, I'm here in downtown Vancouver. I walk out the door, and suddenly, you know, on the way to where I'm going to be working, you know, there's like a hundred different things that I could be doing, right? Whereas if I was going to walk through a forest or even take a 15 minute drive from, say, Qualicum out to Coombs, where you are right now, it's it's a very different experience, all in all, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was it really, Denny. Um, that, that's what I really wanted to cover with you. I really thank you for your time. Um, I really appreciate that.